Well, and again, I mean, it's tough to overstate. I mean, these are people that are at the top of their game, you know, top of our industry and almost universally talk to us about how they still discover new things all the time when they actually just go out and talk to people and listen to them. And it just sort of makes you take a step back and realize like, if the people that are the best in the world at this, don't assume that they know everything about about the people that they're building stuff for, the people they're designing for, um, and they are on talking about like how they're taking advantage of the fact that people have available time or how they're instituting processes to make sure that their team is listening. Like the rest of us mere mortals should probably take that bit of advice and, and probably also realize we just, you know, you don't know everybody in every perspective and, and taking the time to understand those things is really important. I, I, I just really liked how that was was a pretty consistent thread throughout the entire season. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we help you bridge the empathy gap to bring you a valuable new understanding of some of the most innovative ideas and trends shaping the future of business and customer experience. Hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing. And I'm Andy McMillan, CEO of User Testing. And today we're recapping highlights from season two of the Human Insight Podcast. We'll also take a sneak peek at what's in store for season three, which will kick off into September. It's been an awesome nine episodes in season two with guests from design, product leadership, e-commerce, online learning, television, and banking. We also had guests from tech with products and collaboration, finance, and hospitality. Ton of variety and a ton of insight from season two that we were able to share with you all. Andy, what were your thoughts on season two? I thought it was a, a great season. I agree. Lots of interesting content, a wide variety of different backgrounds and, and spaces around our area that people work in. Uh, one of the big takeaways for me, Janelle, was I just love the the space overall and the kind of people that are interested in you know understanding people, gathering human insight. Um, they tend to be folks that are you know, empathetic. They're kind of good listeners. You know, I, I joke all the time, at, even at our conferences, that I love the fact that when you go sit with a group of customers, you know, someone's asking really thoughtful questions and everybody is thoughtfully listening to what's being said and interacting with it. And I sort of feel like that comes through in the podcast conversations. I mean, we spoke with not only really bright and smart and insightful people, but I really felt like the guests are so thoughtful and they're, they're really intrigued and interested in the space and what we're doing and in other people. And I, I think it just really made for some great conversations. And I, I know I learned a lot from a bunch of our different guests. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's this sort of endless curiosity that folks that come on our show have uh, and they're, you know, and, and that's what really makes them great leaders in terms of how they kind of drive towards great customer experiences, right? It's all about truly understanding your customers and it's not about checking a box. It's actually about being genuinely interested and curious about your customers and making sure you understand them so you can build the right experiences for them and even anticipate their needs before they even know they need those problems solved. Yeah. And I think with so many of them, when we got them to talk about their you know, maybe their own careers, the the things they've learned along the way. I even think the way they are kind of introspective in the way they use our craft to look at what they've done. You, you sort of get these honest retrospectives uh, with sort of a human element to their career path. You know, we we had different guests talk a lot about how, you know, it wasn't just point A to point B to point C, but they went through 
you know, a bit of a journey or a discovery personally about what they were trying to do with their lives. I mean, I, th I think about like Christian Idioti talked about how he was going to be a doctor and then he took time off and, you know, and, and then he ran out of money and went into sales. And I mean, just, you know, it, it really kind of genuine conversation that wasn't, you know, I was born inherently good at this. And then I just, you know, was awesome at it. it, it and he talked about it kind of as a craft and a thing that he learned sort of continual discovery. Uh, I like how a lot of our guests talked about continuing to be uh, almost sort of delightfully surprised by learning things from, you know, customers, colleagues themselves that they didn't expect. Um, and again, I just find a lot of folks don't always have that curiosity. They don't, you know, they mm -hmm. just kind of want to assume that their worldview is correct and that, you know, they're kind of inflicting that worldview upon everybody else. And I just really liked, you know, again, even the retrospective view of their own careers, you know, or the, the people that they were influenced by uh, throughout yeah. their career. I thought that was really insightful. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And you're right. There is no kind of clear path to this world. Um, and it's funny too, where they start down a particular career path and I can speak to it too. I mean, I had the same experience going to school for accounting and I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm glad I did. But, you know, even Catherine Richards from Tesco Bank, like she started the journey. She wanted to be a lawyer and now she's heading up uh, design over there. Raina uh, Mehta from Kaplan. She grabbed a book over a weekend about web development, uh, and that was sort of her first peek into this world. You know, now I think there are actually programs and, and ways that people can really start their career from the beginning. But a lot of the people that were on the show this season, those programs just weren't available at the time. And so I'm with you. It's, it's always fascinating to see uh, how people end up in these roles, because it is, everybody has their unique journey. So it was really nice to be able to hear those stories. I think John Couch as well, uh, he's had a fascinating career, but I think he started at like Wire Magazine or something like that. Yeah, um, I remember that. Yeah. Didn't know any better and just called him and said, hey, you know, I'd like to come work for you. And they said, what can you do? And I said, well, I I can do Photoshop and I can do Quark. And by the way, I couldn't do either one of these yet. I was just saying I could do this so I can get my foot in the door. Yeah, well, and so. I think, I mean, he, he was, I really like some of his insights on sort of finding champions. It's sort of interesting to think about mm -hmm. career progression alongside an evolving industry trend, right? I mean, we know that this is a, a big area of interest now where companies are realizing that they they can't just rely on data. They actually do need to interact with people. They do need, do need to understand trends and, and things like that. But a lot of folks we talked to have been in the industry a lot longer than the last couple of years where this has become a trend. I thought it was interesting the way they talked about finding champions, right? How do you how do you get an organization to to care about getting this kind of feedback? How do you change organizational behavior? Um, how do you get people to think about the customer's perspective, especially in these larger organizations uh, where, you know, you're not the customer and, and there's this kind of big customer base you're, you're trying to get out and, and figure out uh, what they're really looking for. Uh, John in particular talked about um, how they created these, this, these kind of vision videos and, and sort of strategies around how to get people engaged around where they, where they wanted to go and sort of rally everybody to a place uh, where customers would be at the center of of their design process. One of the first things I did when I got to Hulu was I commissioned a vision video. And typically when you're just trying to change a company, uh, the typical approach is to iterate. You know, you have the existing armature and you start just legoing on more features. And, and if you talk to a developer about changing something, their immediate reaction is like, oh, I don't think we should do that because it could break a bunch of things down the line. So what a vision video does 
uh, or a strong prototype or like a way of knowing where you're going is it kind of throws out practicality and reality for a moment. You can suspend that and go, okay, we know, we know all the reasons why you can't do something. Let's just hold that for a second, but look at this thing we can do. And once you're very clear about what that is, the whole mentality switched from like, we can't do this. So like, oh my God, I want to make that. I thought it was great the way we had a bunch of different folks talk about how do you, how do you get buy-in? How do you get people to, to kind of be on the mission with you? And I think that was um, really valuable and insightful uh, thoughts on how to, how to kind of get people engaged. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought one of the key things that I heard and, and from, from the guests this season was that having that higher level buy-in was, was kind of critical. And so you mentioned champions, which then obviously translates to, you know, who is the champion? And in many times it has to be somebody at the C-level, either it's the CEO or another role within the organization that can sit and represent the customer and make sure that um, the company is truly, uh, you know, walking the walk, not just talking the talk about being customer centric. You know, John mentioned in particular, you know, it, it, I think it was something along the lines of really, if you don't have that support, um, you have really have to question about whether or not, you know, it's a place for you. And if you need to go find another organization that values this, because without that executive level buy-in, you're really not going to build much traction. And I think that's an interesting perspective. I thought Tamara also, on the other hand, had a really great tip around how to actually get that buy-in. I think if you have been battling as a professional with evangelizing customer centricity, then stop and ask yourself, how can I become more business-centered, right? To achieve the same result. And I think I see this too in sort of teams that are trying to, to build the, the value of, of the practice and and you know, not every organization gets it. And so you oftentimes have to do a lot of evangelizing. And one of the things Tamara shared was really around making sure that you're not positioning customer experience as just customer experience. You're positioning it as um, a way to add value to the business. And inherently, like it, it's really meta actually, in the sense that the way you talk about your value, you've got to put yourself in your audience's shoes. You've got to think about what does the CEO care about? What does the CFO care about? And make sure that you're positioning your value uh, against uh, the way that they see the world. And I think that that's, that's a great takeaway. And one thing that you know I think we could quite frankly get better at. Yeah, I think that's right. I, it is sort of this interesting perspective of, you know, either join an organization that's customer centric, be on a mission to make the organization more customer centric, or in some ways, like cut bait and go find a customer centric place to work. Sort of a fascinating takeaway. But I do get it. I mean, there are just some companies that, for whatever reasons, have had a hard time getting their arms around this. And they're not the companies winning markets right now. They're not the companies that we like using as consumers. They're probably not companies people generally enjoy working at as employees. Uh, and so I thought it was sort of this good balance of of acknowledging that, but also giving folks um, real thoughts on how to change that. Uh, and I did like the idea too of of thinking about it as a sort of a content challenge, not a a philosophical battle. It was like go out, gather a bunch of feedback from customers, you know, walk the walk, show people in an engaging way what you're talking about, and they're either going to react in a positive way to that and say like, no, let's go fix that, 
or they're they're kind of not. And I thought that was also something that I think really resonated uh, across a bunch of the conversations. And I think that's uh, it's it's a good tip. I agree. Yeah, the more tactical, the better. You know, I think it's funny. Um, I don't think anybody's arguing about the importance of customer experience and being customer centric. I mean, every everyone knows it's important. But I think where there was a lot of valuable insight from this season was around how to actually do that in practice. So the episode I think about is the one with uh, Dan Storms from uh, Cook Unity, where he actually walked us through his entire framework for how he went about identifying the market opportunity by using customer feedback and really empathizing and understanding who he was creating an experience for. And even down to all the different activities he went through after product market fit to arrive at a solution. And from there... This the real action, right? And so we presented this to the company. We started updating our marketing and product experience. Um, one example of, of a really particularly good outcome that came from this was when you sign up for Cook Unity, you go through this experience where we ask you some of your initial sort of dietary or taste preferences. And, and so this is sort of counter to the classic, like sort of simplify the sign up experience and as narrow as possible to get as many people in. Um, and so we added some steps. Uh, I mean, of course, we A-B tested it, but it... Um, it, it, what it let us do is tune the experience of the menu when, you know, we have so much great variety that like working through that is actually quite difficult. But if we can tune it a little bit based on some early signals that you give us, um, it, it, it can be much better. And so we ultimately saw a, a 50% lift in our conversion rate. And I thought that that was such a nice example and it was, super generous for him to share that with the community uh, and, and really share some best practices that other folks could could follow. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think the, the sharing element is interesting too. I, I thought the conversation we had with the, the mural team about sort of distributed work and collaboration really did sort of come back to how do you get folks collectively aligned on on a vision, on a strategy, on ideation. Uh, and I think that's really important. I, it's one of the things I think is getting harder as companies are a lot more distributed. You know, we talk about the sort of digital world being this exciting new world we live in, which is great. We all like that, you know, I can order something on, on Amazon and have it dropped off on my front porch the next morning. Like that's outstanding. You know, I, I really do love that. But the, you know, there is the downside of, of number one, not actually interacting with customers. You know, I don't, I don't buy, you know, shoes from somebody in person anymore. I just buy them online. So the shoe companies don't talk to me. Uh, and so we talk a lot about that in our industry. Um, but I thought it was interesting. The mural guys also talking about what distributed teams means internally in a company and how do you get alignment around ideas? If you're trying to move fast, if you want to be customer centric and then move quickly, part of that is, is kind of generating ideas, winnowing that down to things you're going to go do, making decisions, communicating that back out. Um, and I thought they did a really nice job in our conversation of walking through kind of the future of, of collaboration and customer centric collaboration uh, and, and kind of how we can do that in a distributed world. I think there's a lot of spontaneity when you're face-to-face -face and a conversation can just kind of happen. And when when you're distributed, you just have to be a little more deliberate about it. And a lot of that comes, it expresses itself through the rituals that, 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 that we have. 
Uh, and I, you know, uh, and they, they don't have to be, you know, elaborate things like, you know, agile is essentially a collection of rituals. Right. And we see a lot of our customers have more formal rituals. Like at IBM, they have this thing called a playback. It can just be small things that, that really help and go a long way. We found in our survey, we do a survey every year. And for 2020, the biggest pain point that people had working remote was missing the social component, the personal contact, right? So often when I talk about rituals, I talk about how can you have, you know, not a yearly retreat, but how can you have that social component to your work on a daily basis or on a meeting by meeting basis with little check-ins and little rituals. I thought that was a really interesting episode as well with some really, again, kind of practical things that people could go implement to kind of take advantage of how kind of connected we are versus feeling the distance of being remote. I, I totally agree with that. I think my uh, my favorite part of that episode was the pick the Nick uh, mural <laughs> board. <laughs> yes. yes. Have you they, used that in any of your meetings? I have twice. It's been a hit both times. I think uh, it, it is a... Uh, it's funny how sometimes you're like, boy, that's a really strange and funny idea. And then you're like, I'm going to try that. And it just, it just kind of works. So yeah, uh, yeah they, they were, they were great. Yeah. I think the theme too, with, with Mural in particular, and I guess where we see it in customer facing experiences as well, consumer or even B2B, but they talked about how the working world was already kind of shifting towards uh, more digital collaboration, especially for people who might be in an office, but also others who are dialing in or, or joining a, a Zoom call. You know, how do you facilitate a brainstorm when you've got half the people on a conference call and the other people in a physical location? And so, you know, they talked about how that trend was already the trend of digital collaboration and, and digital whiteboards were already that that was already kind of going uh and accelerating. But with COVID, they saw this massive acceleration essentially overnight. And I thought it was interesting to see that perspective because it really was about a different kind of experience, like the working experience, right? And you have to sort of adopt those practices to move fast and be customer centric. But those same accelerations have also happened on the consumer side. I think about the episode with Sean McKee from Shoe. Yes, yes. Yeah, where he talked about how, I mean, and he's seen, speaking of never not buying your shoes online anymore, Andy, he actually started at Shoe in a retail storefront and had um, moved his career to more digital and and, and towards his, the end of his tenure at Shoe, he was running um, e-commerce and digital experience over there. And, you know, he talked about how, yeah, you saw this sort of acceleration happen over the course of 10, 15 years, but with COVID, it's just like a whole new level of acceleration. Yeah, yeah it was like in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Teams were like, okay, we got to be online. Yeah. You can't really put this genie back in the bottle. They've, they've really thought about what's essential, what's not essential, what can I do? You know, what should I be buying where and for what reason? People have been buying bulk, bulk buying things that they never bulk bought before. And, you know, there's been all sorts of funny behaviors. So I think some of that will not be undone. I think that what retailers have to think about is, I suppose, the question of experience and what experience looks like. Because if doing things that were more, you know, at the experiential end of the spectrum were important before COVID, they're even more important now because customers really need to have a compelling reason to visit your store because they've just had an education that tells them they can do other things. 
And he even talked about how even some of these practices that, or some of these activities that you do and are, have been traditionally in person forever, like buying a car, he shared his experience around how that whole experience has changed. Um, I think he mentioned he was working with a, um, with a dealership and they ended up taking uh, their own video of the inside of the car um, and almost doing a test drive, but recording themselves as they did it and then sending it to him for review. And he ended up loving the experience and ultimately purchasing the car. So it's like, it's not just like the regular digital stuff that's accelerating. It's like all these other new uh, types of interactions that are accelerating as well. For me, I would need them to record that test drive if they were going to share it out and have me understand the experience, but I'd have to have kids yelling in the back as part of the video. <laughs> like that would, it would be a critical component of me really living the experience. I, I think the the B2B and B2C conversation was also a thread we sort of saw throughout the season. Um, I felt like um, Susan Rice really did a good job of, you know, having been in both environments. I really liked mm -hmm. her thoughts on kind of, you know, yeah, there definitely are some things that are different. But there are a lot of things that that can be similar and things we can learn um, in both directions. And I thought that was really great. I, I feel like there's often this, you know, either B2B catching up to B2C in terms of, of experiences or the things that B2C companies are learning about how B2B companies operationalize things. And I thought that was a really interesting conversation that sort of talked about it's sort of the same but different. Uh, and I, I think mm -hmm. it was uh, nice to have somebody who is not sitting on one side of that discussion, explaining it to everybody else, but somebody who's sort of been in both environments. And, and again, like so many of our guests, just had a really thoughtful take yeah. on uh, on some of these differences and, and some of the similarities. Yeah, I love when I pose that question to her, you know, people talking about the similarities between B2B and B2C and how B2B should emulate B2C. And she just looked at me and she's like, Janelle, it's just it's not that simple. <laughs> and so I loved her sort of very frank statement there. It's like yes and no at the same time. The reality is for B2B environments where, you know, it's specifically about those experiences where customers are living and breathing your your products on your platform, the ones where they're, you know, in it all day long. So there might be some B2B software where you're, they're in and out, and that's probably a lot closer to a B2C experience. But for customers like ours at Workiva, where they have Workiva open all day long, they are using, you know, our spreadsheet functionality. They are looking at hundreds of lines of data and they're comparing it to another document. They're moving information around, that sort of thing, but they're living on our platform. That is a very different, they have very different needs than a consumer who's just opening up an app in there for two seconds to do one thing and then popping back out. So you have to take those um, details into account and figure out like how much information is kind of the right information given what they are trying to accomplish in their day with your product. And then how do you balance that with making it as easy to read and digest and easy, you know, you still want it to be easy to access. And so there's a lot more considerations from that perspective, but then if you boil it down, like it still is like, how do you make complexity as simple as possible? That's still true for consumers or for businesses. It's just that that complexity or what, how you simplify depends on how well you know the customers and what, what this job is that they're trying to get done. That's where it's like, okay, the same concepts apply. How you apply them can be very different.
And yeah, she's right. She's right. Maybe we can cover some of the interesting tactics uh, around how different organizations have kind of pushed the cult, their cultures to be more customer centric. So the one that comes to mind is Catherine Richards at Tesco Bank. She has introduced and her team has introduced Customer Wednesdays. So this is where they actually, uh, every Wednesday, bring in customers to the office um, before COVID. And now they do it all remotely, um, now that everybody's working remotely. The single biggest thing that we've done in Tesco Bank is bring the customer into the conversation. So when you tell a story about a customer that you've seen or you've spent time with, There's just something about that that people remember. They remember the customer stories, right? They don't remember the theory around why you should be customer centric. They remember that Jill couldn't afford to buy her daughter a winter coat because she needed to do the big shop that week, right? Those are the kind of things that resonate with people because that's the human connection. But I thought, you know, it's it's pretty straightforward. It is what it is. They bring customers in every Wednesday, but introducing a cadence like that and something that people expect every week and a way for them to get quick access, way for the team to get quick access to customers. I thought that that was a, a really nice idea that other teams could potentially adopt or other people who are listening um, could find that tactic useful. Yeah, I think it highlighted the idea that, you know, sometimes it's easy to skip important steps thinking you're going fast, but really kind of making sure you have the sort of institutional processes to make sure that you were listening and really building the right stuff. I think it was a, it's a, it is a really good and thoughtful tip on how to make sure that that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And um, she, it's funny, she mentioned it as, I think she called it positive disruption, where it was, they were really, she was really trying to challenge the way that they had traditionally done work. I think um, John Couch also had uh, every Friday, I think he mentioned, was a day that he they brought people into uh, the lab at Hulu and had them look at different new ideas or look at existing design. So yeah, this regular sort of cadence of talking to customers. And I loved Christian Idioti's stories about how he's never found it easier now to actually connect to customers on a regular basis. It's like, we're all at home. I have actually found more success in doing discovery in the pandemic. I know where my customers are. I have spoken to way more CEOs in the last year than I have ever in my career. They are not on flights to Japan or China or so. No, you know, Bob, you're at home. You know, you just came back from you watching your daughter scream at you. You want to talk to me. I am a great escape. You want the excuse of coming to talk to me. Well, and again, I mean, it's tough to overstate. I mean, these are people that are at the top of their game, you know, top of our industry and almost universally talk to us about how they still discover new things all the time when they actually just go out and talk to people and listen to them. And it just sort of makes you take a step back and realize, like, if the people that are the best in the world at this don't assume that they know everything about about the people that they're building stuff for, the people they're designing for. Um, and they are on talking about like how they're taking advantage of the fact that people have available time or how they're instituting processes to make sure that their team is listening. Like the rest of us mere mortals should probably take that bit of advice and, and probably also realize we just, you know, 
you don't know everybody in every perspective and, and taking the time to understand those things is really important. I, I, I just really liked how that was, was a pretty consistent thread throughout the entire season. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I just, I, and just to add one more thought on that, I think the, that having like uncomplicating all of this, like, I think as a practice, we, we can make things somewhat challenging and complex. There's a lot of thought that has to go into when is the right time to get feedback and what are the questions you should be asking and who should we be getting feedback from and what do we do with all this feedback? And the idea is that these kind of regular check-ins with customers and kind of serving up the opportunity for uh, your company and teams within your company to connect with customers in a way that doesn't feel intimidating or doesn't feel like it requires a lot of complexity. I think that there's something there. Now, the complexity certainly probably happens behind the scenes, but making sure that it's served up in a way where it's like, yeah, come come chat with a customer, come make a connection, come ask a question. That can be, it just breaks down the barrier. I also really liked some of the lightning round questions. It's funny we, we these are such thoughtful people, and you give them a, a you know a, a good chunk of time to answer questions thoughtfully, and then when you sort of zero them in on like okay, but you know go through this stuff quickly. One of my favorites was when we asked folks what piece of advice they would give to someone trying to convince others to invest in more customer centric design, which again kind of goes back to this. While we might feel companies are doing a better job of this generally. You know, a lot of folks we talk to explain their company is still early on the journey of being a lot more customer centric. And so, you know, we talked about John's find a champion in the C-suite and and quit if you can't, which I thought was a good answer. Um, but I also really liked uh, Susan Rice's answer of, of, you know, show, don't tell, right? Which again, kind of speaks to the power of empathy when you actually see people going through an experience. Uh, we relate to that a lot better than product manager telling me about experiences other people have, for example. So I thought that, that was a really good uh, lightning round answer. I don't know, Janelle, did you have any of the questions or answers that really stood out to you? Yeah, I, I really loved the perspective of folks that are in this field. They think about customer experiences all the time and having them share a great customer experience that they've recently had. Um, I thought those are always so great. And I also think it's really easy to to talk about bad experiences, but it's not always easy to find good experiences. I mean, I think of your Carvana example, Andy, where you kind of went through that process of purchasing a car in a different way. Those are few and far between. And I mean, there are more and more that are, you know, are popping up, but anyway, this audience in particular, I think the way that they view the world and how they identify great experiences is kind of boils up some interesting themes. So one was um, there were a few answers that were related to innovation in healthcare. Dan Storms talked about a particular health application called Capsule. Uh, Raina Meta talked about the Hero app, which was also related to medication, where she was able to administer her mom's medication from remotely. And so right. these are like interesting. Uh, experiences that I personally hadn't heard of, but you know they're pushing the boundaries. It's innovation, is what it is. Sean McKee talked about buying the car during lockdown. I think that was the only other sort of like innovative one. And then the others were interesting in the sense that like some were just optimization of experiences that you anticipate being difficult. 
um, being actually really easy. So Catherine Richards talked about the booking process on EasyJet. She was able to book it really easily, then also change her flight and do it all online without actually having to call customer support, which was amazing. Um, Tamara Adlin talked about her local vaccination site um, being really easy for her to get in and out within a couple of minutes. Um, I had a similar experience and was pleasantly surprised by that as well. And so I think that's an interesting theme too, sort of like, you know, there sometimes are ways and standard ways that we have to go about doing things. And for those experiences that we expect to be hard or annoying, we're actually starting to see them improve, which is encouraging. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think the uh, health-related ones were interesting because, you know, need is really the precursor to innovation, right? So we're going through this health crisis this year as a as a world, as a species. And it was sort of interesting how uh, health innovation was, was sort of one of the themes that we heard a lot about in the use cases. I also really liked um, the answer that Raina gave on... Um, you know, the future of customer-driven design and experiences and what she's most excited about. it. It's just the beginning for the Internet of Things. And, you know, right now it feels like a very fragmented, you know, ecosystem, obviously, because it's so nascent. But I'm really interested to see how things become more unified across different platforms and providers so that, you know, you don't have like 15 apps to manage your you know, home cooling and heating and your security and your whatever it may be, your water sensor. I think there's a lot of opportunity to do it. It's going to be very hard and probably will take a while, but I'm excited to see where it goes. It was sort of interesting. She sort of answered with a problem to be solved. I thought that was an interesting way to answer something you're excited about it. And she sort of spoke to the fragmentation of internet of things. And I think we sort of feel that as consumers, like it's really cool that everything in the world is now connected, but sort of like connected to what, like just to me, to each other, like, and so she talked about sort of the opportunity for those things to be brought together into more coherent experiences. And I really liked that. It was sort of this something to be excited about that really was more of a problem statement, but she sort of had this design centered vision on how this stuff could work together. And I thought that was really, I thought that was a cool answer on, on something that I personally was like, yes, like, I'm like, that's correct. Like, I'm looking forward to that too. So um, yeah, I thought it was just really, you know, again, interesting and insightful answers uh, uh, across that. I think McKee also talked about augmented reality in the last mile, you know, sort of this, like, it, it's a really cool toy. I don't know if anybody who's listening has, has you know, different devices have had different AR capabilities and it's fun, but it's like, you know, the last mile of really getting that right will unlock a bunch of really cool things. Yeah. And then in addition to, you know, the world of experiences around us, I think I really appreciated Susan uh, Rice's response when I asked her what excites her the most about the future, which was really about the progress that we've made as uh, an industry, as a field, as a practice. She was talking about design in particular, but just, I, I think I've told this story to you before, Andy, where it's like when I first uh, came out of grad school with a focus on experience, let's just say generally, and the ability to get feedback from customers as human beings and share with your teams what it's like to actually be a customer, not just look at a bunch of data and dashboards. I felt like I had this superpower and no one knew about it. And I felt like when I showed up with it, it was like, oh my God, that's so valuable. We should be doing more of that, right? Just watching the this field explode over the last 15, 20 years to being 
this little superpower that no one kind of knew about to something that now teams find absolutely mission critical and realize they have to build it into everything they do. That's been incredible to experience. And so I really appreciated Susan uh, tapping into that as well. Yeah, I will say as a developer turned product manager who started my product management career uh, at Oracle, let's say 15 years ago, we were not aware of that superpower that you could design the software with the end user in mind. I will, I will take full credit or discredit for some of the UIs that we shipped uh, a decade and a half ago. So it's, it's nice to see that people are uh, waking up that you can actually build software that, that works well for people. Well, then I thank you for creating the problem that we're not, that we are now <laughs> all going to solve. <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, again, we covered a lot this season, and I think we'd be remiss not to just thank our guests again. I mean, for them to take the time and come on and, and be so open and share with us. Um, it was just fantastic. What are you excited about for next season? Like, we're going to get going again with, with season three of the podcast and, and start recording those. What are you excited about for this upcoming year? It's a good question. Uh, we are going through the, the process of, of strategizing and planning for the season, and we're doing this in conjunction to actually working on our book about the power of human insight and user testing. And as part of that process, we've uncovered so many amazing stories and case studies and tips and best practices. And so I'm really looking forward to bringing those things to life uh, in season three. So certainly excited about that. So more to come. What are you excited about, Andy? I, you know, I do. You talk about the book. I think it's right. It's it's fascinating how often we're discovering in this process where we learn about a really cool, uh, whether it's a mindset or an approach or a thing that people are getting feedback on. And then when you sort of talk to the next person, uh, they're like, well, that's like that other thing you talked about. That's really interesting too. And so I just think there's a, a mindset that I'm excited about having going into next year, but just how do we share uh, different ways to just gather more perspectives efficiently what people are doing. And, and some of the perspectives I think about that, that we've heard about that are so interesting. One is deliberately seeking out the perspectives of folks who use a competing product, right? Or, or understanding the perspective of your customers when they might use a competing product or try that out. So I think that's a really interesting one. Uh, and then, you know, we're hearing a lot about folks more deliberately getting the perspectives of different people that have a different background than they or their team. And I just love the idea of I'm building an application. I look around my team and it's sort of like, you know, we're building this application for a, a broad base of users. Uh, maybe we should go ask some people that are in a different part of the world, different part of the country, different viewpoint on the world, different cultural background, and just get their perspective before we go any further. And I, I just think that's really powerful. So I'm excited about learning and, and sharing more of those stories and continue to kind of push on this idea of getting, you know, the power of diverse perspectives in, in different, almost kind of disruptive perspectives to really disrupt our current thinking and, and build, you know, better and more inclusive products. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I am incredibly excited about that. And I think as part of the, the process of going through and trying to understand who's doing this well and, and, how, and actually how do you do this well, we've learned a lot and have some exciting uh, stories to share around best practices there. But you're right. I mean, everybody knows, and, and and maybe actually not everybody knows, but it's easy to say you are not your customer. It's easy to talk about how, you know, your customers aren't actually like you in many cases, but it's another to actually go out and be deliberate about getting those perspectives. And so, yes, agree that this can be so incredibly powerful. And I look forward to sharing more about that. 
in uh, season three. So until then, you can go back and listen to any of the episodes from season one and two on our dedicated podcast website or follow us through Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please consider leaving the show a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts and tell your coworkers about us. Every share and like really makes a difference. So what an awesome season, Andy. Thanks to all the listeners for joining us. Thanks to our guests. And we look forward to chatting with you in season three. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Janelle. And thanks again to our guests. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Want to keep the conversation going? You can visit our podcast hub, usertesting.com slash podcast and check out past episodes. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play, so you can never miss a good episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.